A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible Resistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. And I said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good lad. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. <laughs> second captain, first captain, whatever. A young team stacked with five debutants sticking it to the All-Ireland Champions in their own backyard. One of the most criticised players in the country finally cashing in on his talent with 10 points, including five from play. All 12 forwards putting scores on the board before the half-hour mark. And a young man whose career was in jeopardy because of a heart defect stepping up to score the winning goal. I'm not sure any match ever has it all, as the cliche goes. It's almost impossible to have it all, but... Cork tip yesterday certainly had most of it, I think. Mm. Uh, it'll do. It'll do for it, a start. It'll certainly do for starters. Owen Murphy with Monday's second captain's podcast. What a game, Kieran. What <sighs> a game. What a game. Uh, absolutely brilliant start. And uh, it's it's easy to just get locked into how much it meant to Cork and Tipperary. But, I mean, just everyone just got such a lift out of that. I mean, I, I was talking to a couple of people from Galway yesterday. And I was talking to my dad, actually. And he just said, like, if you were watching that... In Galway, you would just immediately think, "Oh yeah, let's go to the, that game next week." Like the jamboree is started. You know what I mean? Like it's the you have a uh, you have a chance over the coming weeks to go and see your team if you're from any of the eleven teams left in the in the competition. Like why wouldn't you go? Mm. I mean that was just so good yesterday. <laughs> it was um, even the pundits. You see how energized people like Shefflin and Sherlock Nan. How many cork tip matches has he seen? Mm. And you still get the sense that he. It was energised by it and everybody watched the scenes afterwards it looked a bit like what I liked about it was Conor Lahan who we're going to talk about with Michael Dygan a little while Michael Dygan was at the game it did a post-match interview and there was none of the usual well it's just a step he tried to catch himself once or twice you know there's yeah. obviously more to but he was he was just overjoyed he's like look we, we've been losing games This is it's just such an amazing feeling to win a big one like this and while a few years back the, th- the thoughts of over-celebrating one Munster Championship victory might have seemed like a dereliction yeah. of duty from, from Cork. They, they would look down on that sort of thing. They're, they have to be realistic. They haven't been doing it. In fact, they've been struggling badly and getting hammered and probably hammering themselves. So there was a sense, there was just a lot of people on the pitch. There was a, yeah. a real sense that this was a great occasion, which you usually have to wait until at least a Munster final or something to get. Yeah, and like Cal Ann's story, uh, I'm sure everyone's heard it by now, but uh, totally wouldn't play again uh, three years ago. That's, that's Michael, that's Michael Callan, who I mentioned with the heart. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
I mean, that's his first touch in the championship. I mean, it's extraordinary. Uh, and this fixture, you know, it's it's the same as every other big rivalry. You know, for you know, Manchester United Liverpool is a big rivalry. That doesn't mean that there's not a load of stinkers <laughs> in the midst of all the you know two hundred games they've played against each other over the course of the last like century. Mm. But cork and tip is defined to a large extent in a lot of people's heads. Uh, by the kind of 1986 to 1991 era. And that those games were all defined by late goals, uh, be it goals to force draws or goals in extra time to end up winning games, like the Tipperary, the famine is over game in 1987 in Clarny. It's like late goals everywhere, including in extra time. Like it, the whole mystique around it is you know, decisive goals right at the end of games. And for a guy like that to come along and score a goal like that, mm. uh, to finish a game as good as that, <laughs> I mean, yeah. It'll do for May 21st. Yeah, it certainly will. And we'll have Michael Dignan in in just a couple of moments. And Shane Horgan is on a bit later to take a deep dive into Leinster's no-show and Munster's big win. If you missed the latest episode of The Player's Chair with Richie Sadler, by the way, that's hurling-themed with Anthony Daly. And it was another absolute belter, to be honest. Richie got really deep into... What makes Daly tick? What drove him to have the career in sport that he's had? How he's handled his struggles with that career, with the fame, I suppose, that came out of the success in the 90s in particular. A big part of Daly's story was the death of his father when he was just a kid. But he was telling Richie, it's only in recent years that he's started trying to figure out how that all fits into the life that he's had. It's this, obviously, seismic event in your life, in your childhood, and it's not spoken about. There's no, there's no forum for you to ask the questions no. process it however the hell an 8 year old does that anyway I don't know no and it was that was sort of a protection policy I suppose at home you know that Pacho's gone to heaven like you know yeah. uh, Pacho's gone you know he's gone to heaven kind of lives up the hill at the graveyard now and we went up there every week to visit him and my mother's still hailing hearty thank God after a few scares mm. she she was a very religious woman and you'd be brought to the rosary every Sunday night and you have to pray for Pacho, like, or like, but never kind of got to grips of what was after happening. Pacho got a heart attack, like, and, and died, like, as you do, you know, as people sometimes do. And, uh, yeah, I suppose that was never really dealt with, no. Anthony Daly there, really opening up to Richie was absolutely great to have him in. If you want to hear the whole chat, you can get on to secondcaptains.com for details on how to join up to the World Service and become a member. You'll also get access to this man's reporting from the Europa League final in Stockholm this week. There's a voice. <laughs> oh my God. Sorry, mate. That's actually my seat. What you think doesn't really matter. He's an annoying twat. What do I say? The word tosser. It happens at the Friends Arena, but Majesty and I are anything but friends. <laughs> That's right, our little, our littlest Kenny uh, yeah. is off on his travels to see his hero, Jose Mourinho, in action. Maybe tomorrow he will settle down on, <laughs> Maybe. but till tomorrow, he'll just keep rolling out. Become a member for five euro a month plus VAT on secondcaptains.com of the World Service. Now that Ken's gone, we can reveal some... High praise that he received today, Murph. Oh, well, see, we, we could never do this if we were in No, nah, he'd be too die of embarrassment. The Guardian have published an end-of-season piece with all the writers picking player of the year, manager of the year, all that sort of stuff. And they've got a best pundit section in there. Okay. You might see where I'm going with this. Lots of Gary Neville and Jamie Carragher mentions, as you'd expect. A bit of Graeme Souness, 
But check this out from Scott Murray, a man of fine taste. The word pundit is derived from the Sanskrit for learned man. So working on an etymological basis rather than the modern definition of ex-pro phoning it into Sky Sports News for coin. Mm-hmm. How about Ken Early of the Second Captains? Fiercely intelligent and witty analysis which frequently sails off into the avant-garde. Obviously, we can't say... That's the end of the quote there from Scott Murray. We can't say such nice things about Ken's poetry ourselves as it would appear to be biased. But more than happy to second Scott's proposal there. So Yeah, uh, Carrer is pretty good as well. <laughs> well, that is true. <laughs> Ken's up there. He's up there. Yeah. Michael Dignan, that was a half-decent start to the Hurling Championship, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. A bit more than that, I think. Yeah, it was. Wasn't it just uh, brilliant? Uh, I, I think I said it at the end of the commentary yesterday. I suppose I'm, I'm a bit of a romantic when it comes to Hurling, and I like to see you know Hurling like that. But, um, you know, I think the Irish are a little bit like, you know, when we're talking about the weather, we get a good week and they're saying we need the rain, and there's gas after the match yesterday. If you're, oh, jizz was very open. Yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. when you have the sweepers, we don't want it when you have a game like that. But I, I think that, that, that was a game that had everything. I know the backs were under pressure, but I think that's part of... Um, that's part of the challenge of being hurled. If you're a defender, you have to be able to defend. And, and maybe you saw that yesterday, that lads without the extra help and without the extra cover uh, there, that you know some of them were exposed uh, here and there. Um, but you know you saw Cork last year and Turles, they went with, with extra defenders and they didn't really know their job. But yesterday they had a job, mark your man. And they did it to an extent, but Tipperary forwards did profit as well. You know, their half-forward line scored 12 from play between them. Uh, Breen started centre-forward, Dan McCormick, he got six, and Dan McCormick and Noel McGrath got three each. Uh, even though I'd say Cork nearly won every puck out in the second half so it was a strange sort of game that way while they dominated the Cork defence looked to be very dominant Tip still managed to score 126 um, but Cork's forwards were just that little bit more electric and, and uh, on the day and they were phenomenal Yeah so we're one one game into the championship and I think it's fair to say that the route that Galway, Waterford, Kilkenny, Tipperary had all planned for themselves to say right on the first Sunday in September th- we're going to be in the All-Ireland Final and this is how we'll get there all of that completely thrown up in a heap for those four counties and for a couple of others as well. Like, it's just such a ridiculously good start that uh, everything's up in a heap now. And for all of us commentating on it and and, and commenting that, you you know, most years for the last long time you could say Kilkenny, maybe Tip, maybe Galway. But now, and I've talked about this over the last few months, that it is building to that where you really are having six and seven teams that are going to be there, thereabouts. Now, it's, it's who can do it consistently. But like the next day, there's no guarantee Cork are going to beat Watford. You have Clare and Limerick. Who knows? Galway can be anything. Uh, you know, there's there's loads of teams. And, and Kilkenny. Then I see Jerry Elwood came back on Saturday to score three goals for Glenmore. Michael Fenley came back at centre back for Ballyhale at the weekend. Both of them are back in contention. So all of a sudden, after a game like that, you're sort of saying. Kilkenny aren't out of it if they can tighten up their defence. And that game, Kilkenny against Wexford. You know, whatever about the back door before this. Tipper in the back door now like it, it, it raises yeah. the stakes for that game even more yeah, I think they're going to change it to trap door this year yeah. instead of back door but it's going to be very it's, it is going to be very competitive um, and that's the way it should be that's the way a championship should be I think that's why you know originally this back door was designed because it was very unfair it'd be very unfair whether it was Tipper Cork yesterday that lost that game and they were gone for the year like I played through that era losing in the first round and being gone and um, so it, it does give teams the opportunity to come back in um, but some of those games have been very one-sided over the last number of years and look that's going to be I suppose part and parcel of that but uh, this year you know, regardless of who it is if it's Clare or Limerick going in there if it's Waterford or Cork that'll be in the qualifiers um, you know Galway or Dublin all those teams are going to be going in there and um, they're all top teams and you, you know you've you, on any given day they can beat each other a lot of them teams and they have done so over the last few years in league and championship I really liked what Kieran Kingston said after the game about his team selection because they had all these championship debutants, and that was the focus obviously and there was definitely an energy and an exuberance 
But he made the point, I didn't pick them because they were young or because they were old. I picked them because they were on form. And this is the kind of stuff you hear from every manager in every sport. Oh, yeah, you pick on form. But most of them don't really. You go guys with the reputation and the guys who've done it for you. And when, and when in you're in Kieran Kingston's position where he's under pressure and he's been taking a lot of flack, I mean, the easy thing yeah. to do is to pick guys with experience. Whereas he obviously looked at it. As he said, he looked at the league. He looked at the challenge games they were playing looked at internal matches they were playing and said okay these are the guys that are on form it seems like a simple formula when it works and as he said himself it's easy for me to say for me to say it now but if we'd lost I would have said the same thing these were the guys who were on form Yeah, I don't think he could have gone back with the experience like they'd failed too often over the last number of years and he would have been you know if you at least he went with a new team and went with Jute and uh, and they all performed which is very unusual you know all the five uh, five lads um uh, from from uh, Colm Spillane a cornerback to caught the first two high balls over John McGrath's biggest strength is nearly his aerial ability and for Colm Spillane to catch those two balls over his head Mark Coleman his arms nearly fell off hitting ball now I know there was a couple of points off from Dan McCormick battled hard for tip but that, that was a real championship uh, battle between those two players um, and uh, Darryl Fitzgibbon the middle of the field covered every blade of turtles before he ran out of steam the last few minutes but up front then shit, like another factor is Kieran King, when you have a son involved you know, and I, I've only trained a minor team with, with my sons involved there's that little bit more pressure because are you picking them or this or that or the other? Now, um, Fitzgibbon has been a brilliant player underage uh, for Cork and he broke his leg then. He was obviously missed quite a bit of time last year but um, he was sensational and he had a quiet start and I was actually thinking, I know Kieran Kingston a long time, I worked with him going back, well, it's nearly 30 years ago now, I worked with him in AIB and I was just thinking of him during as the first 15, 20 minutes as a father on the sideline watching the match that and he didn't start particularly well and... Um, Everyone flying except your your son. All the other lads were getting scores and getting and he didn't. And next thing he got a point and settled into it. And then he just in the second half he just you could see that relaxation coming into his game and his movement and his pace. And then Conor Lahan, which we've seen Conor Lahan doing this in the past, scoring these four or five points from play. But I think the leadership of taking the freeze, he's done that in Cork Club Hurling for a number of years now, where he's the outstanding and take the freeze off Pat Horgan put the pressure on him to perform from play which is a thing that's been tried before remember Babs famously took the freeze off Owen Kelly which didn't make any sense because he's the best free taker in the country at the time but but Patrick Horgan's a phenomenal free taker but obviously they dropped him uh, towards the end of the league for a game and they said look we need more out of you and um, he came along four great points from play as well so all those things worked and, and they played as a team Just on Lahan, Michael it's worth lingering on him for a second because it could be argued that his performance summed Cork up in a lot of ways he's you know a lot of people who are listening to this chat might be half into hurling or you know mightn't be that, that clued in on the criticism that goes around but this is a guy nobody has ever said Cork have bad hurlers necessarily that there's talent there but they haven't been producing Lahan might be the, the prime example of that like he could be one of the best hurlers in the country but doesn't always do it and, and uh and yes, it was one of the days that he did. Yeah, I think there's players like Conor Lahan that the, I've said this about Joe Cannon before. The expectation every time to go out is very, very high. Mm-hmm. And I think Lahan has had a lot of good games for Cork. But a bit like Patrick Horgan, sometimes he might get a pint or two early and then disappear for 20 minutes or half an hour. Maybe it's a lack of concentration. Maybe it's whatever it is. Um, and I, I, we follow the club scene fairly closely where he has an awful lot of str- very good games for Middleton down there. Uh, puts up big scores every week. So, um, like, he's still relatively young, you know what I mean, as well. And I, I think he said it himself um, after the game that, you know, I think he's used the term farting around for the last few years, <laughs> you know. And uh, it's one way of putting it. You know, because a game can pass you by very, very quickly and then there's a year gone again. And I think you could see that hunger in Cork. Um, that they didn't want that to happen and and look as I say the scoreline they put up is phenomenal like all their forwards uh, 
clicked on the day, like right throughout the forward line. And uh, uh, but if you look, I, I keep harping back to Tip because Tipperary are the most unusual uh, supporters. Right, there'll be a big thing going on now on Tip today that they're no good and they're this that and the other end. They're, they're finished and they can't put back to back. And their own supporters are nearly the hardest on them. But I. They call nine of their team scored from play. They're two from from seven. No, sorry, that's nine. Yeah, seven to fifteen all scored, and and uh, uh, the sub came on and scored as well. Joe Dwyer, mm-hmm. who got a great point. Uh, their half forward scored twelve from play. Their two midfielders got three. Their inside line all scored. Now they were quiet enough by their standards, John McGrath. But it was still a very solid display. And I I think I said something in the commentary that. Tipperary didn't lose anything in defeat and there's always someone at home some guy called me an idiot on Twitter because he said they did the last month's crown I know they did but <laughs> yeah. he, he was right to it to an extent but I meant they didn't really lose an awful lot in my view uh, they're missing Bonner Maher they have a few issues at the back there. it wasn't a collapse or anything it wasn't no it's totally different to the league final I would yeah say. but I thought it was, it was a phenomenal performance by Cork and I was in Middleton last Wednesday night doing a pre-championship uh, do and Kevin Hennessy uh, made the point that he felt that it was a one, one, and he emphasised one huge game in Cork, and he had a feeling it was going to be in Turles against Tipperary, where they love going with that sort of a team. The pitch was immaculate; it was set up for a really good open game of hurling. Um, and the pressure now on Cork is to come back and repeat that. Whereas I, you know, by tip, they're battle hardened. They'll have six weeks off now till the first week in July or something like that. Give them; a, they look jaded at times, and you know that's that's not an excuse. Kilkenny have been able to do it, but Kilkenny at times had easier draws, you know, in Leinster to be fair as well, and they could take their time building for the championship. They had to hit the ground running. I think a little bit of a break now, and Cahill Barrett's injury will be the key one because Michael Cahill has gone already. Mm. Uh, Donna Marr has an injury as well. He's a very good cornerback. He looks to be out for a while, so they're really struggling for cover in the full backline. But if they got Barrett back, if it wasn't as bad, and they regrouped, and, and as championship hurling goes on, there's not as much room out in the pitch on the big days, and I'd still. Think Tipper going to be in the semi final definitely. Yeah, uh, just it, going from Lahan to Tip is kind of instructive actually because say Lahan's point directly after the John McGrath goal was a brilliant puck out from Nash. I think were the puck outs barely mentioned, not really, but I mean Nash's puck outs were just Incredible, sensational. Yeah. And he made a couple of big saves. Yeah, as well, and yeah. I think we'll move on to Tip maybe in a second, but just yep. to linger on that because yep. Nash's ability to to hit lads on the run. As opposed to hitting a, you know, trying to isolate a guy in the cork half forward line, but then pump, pumping it down on top of him. I mean, that was never going to work against the tip half back line. But that that ability he had to hit a guy on a run, get Lahan running at Ronan Mar. I mean, I think every hurling manager in the country took major note of that. Yeah. You know, the the way that Lahan was able to just go at Ronan Mar and just go past him. Yeah, I mean, well, it, yeah. it was an, it was eye opening. Yeah, well, Lahan has, has serious pace, but you saw Joe Canning playing a slightly different type of game and taking Ronan Maher to the cleaners the last level by playing off him and loose and running trying to hold the centre and and that can happen. But but I think you you hit the nail on the head. The, the puckouts there was two things. Cork's handling yesterday was exceptional. Uh, their fielding of the slitter and like that's a dying art in the game. Like Kilkenny at their best were brilliant, but the amount of their defenders I mentioned Colin Spillane but Mark Ellis Mark Coleman caught phenomenal balls but up front they won an awful lot of ball but it was that it's one thing to spray those puckouts but it's another thing to actually catch them on the run and if you go back to 99 Fergal McCormick was often using that role and Jimmy Barry's where he came from the centre caught the ball and immediately opened up the whole defence because if the centre back goes with him you leave all this room inside if the ball breaks there's loads of room and they used that in the switch to play then when they did open it up you saw Parik Maher point and it was highlighted on the Sunday game last night yeah. they didn't know where they were but there was a couple of things about the Cork forwards it was that movement across the field and, and you can you can defend that by just staying in your own zone but Tipperary weren't ready for that they weren't expecting that sort of movement and those puckouts 
and they also the rotation of the car forwards where they actually change positions every 10 or 15 minutes so you were being faced with a different type of player every 10 minutes maybe and that really you know the, the, the Tipperary defenders stayed in their place uh, I remember we played Kilkenny one year in Leinster final it could have been 95 and our instruction was to follow your man and no matter what defender you were on because the the matchups were done. You see, Kilkenny doing that the odd time as well, yeah. and uh, it worked until DJ went to full forward and got, there was a mismatch. He got a goal at one stage, but but we won the game. So, but Tipperary stayed in their positions and were picking up these different type of players, and these were running everywhere. So it was a very well thought out game plan, and the idea was to take the Tipperary half back line in particular off their feet, and, and it worked. I know that the you know t- Tip played reasonably, certainly attacked well. One twenty six is a decent score in anyone's book, but it sort of struck me that the one thing. Well, the one thing the game lacked, it didn't really lack, lack anything. But I thought there might be one more kick from from Tip towards the end. It felt as though when the game was really in the melting pot in the last 10, 15 minutes, they kind of resorted to just lumping it in the general direction of Seamus Callan and hoping he could do something. He was largely stuck out on the on the wings. There didn't seem to be, for all the talent they have and for, for their ability to, to score heavily, it, it just felt as though the game plan narrowed quite a lot. And Cork were actually quite comfortable in the last sort of five minutes, say. Yeah, well, I've mentioned it a few times already that it was. It was route one, high ball down, and they were getting cleaned out. And, like that. and that was a criticism of Tip and they weren't winning All-Irelands that they were being beaten under half Ireland in the air. Very very much a criticism used against Cork as well over the last few years. And it's against most teams. Like you know, it's, it's, Most teams find it very, very hard uh, to break down the half-back line in the air. So you saw that puck-out strategy. That was designed specifically for that, that you weren't pucking the ball down top of Parik Maher and Ronamar, who were very, very strong in the air, that would have been forced to move and at least attack the ball on the move and it gave the Cork lads a yard or two. Um, so, And Tip didn't have a similar game plan or didn't no, weren't able to execute. No, but see, Tip are strong in the air normally in the half hour. Or John McGrath comes out under puckouts and, you know, uh, Bonner is normally, Bonner wasn't there to break ball and he's normally good in the air as well. So I don't think they were expecting Cork to be as strong as they were. Like, uh, like last year, Tipperary went demolished Cork and uh, and every way. And, but Cork had their homework done to mark very, very tightly. And, uh, and I actually... Like I, I'm looking at the scoreline still this morning I'm saying how were Tipperary so close because Cork were quite dominant even coming up to half time Tipper in the game but they looked a little bit flat and dead and having said that in the first 10 or 15 minutes this runner which they use so well where a lad takes a chance and goes in past the half back line and they got on to Norm McGrath got on to one Brendan Maher got on to another with a lovely pass from Bubbles they really should have been two goals and the game could have been completely different. And But what, what Tipper or Cork started doing really well after that was cutting out the ball in the air they either caught it or broke it and the runner was then gone through the ball broke back out to the Cork man and, and Tipperary were out of position then all over the field so uh, you know Cork Cork won what I would say uh, Henry Sheffield said go down as one of the autumn classics I think it will go down as a great game it was probably was lacking that little bit of hard tackling at the back there was only 12 frees or something in the whole game and you know James Owens has to get credit for letting it flow but from a from a spectacle point of view, the scores the quality of scores the strike and I know we have the light slitter debate and you'll have all that coming in but I think, you know, if you want to watch a de- uh, great game of hurling, it had it all yesterday. Yeah. What can Tip do about their full back line? Well, I think the first thing that Mick Ryan, and you could see him getting onto the forwards, the tackling of the forwards wasn't up to, and there was the same in the league final. I think, um, I know it was it Henry or one of them in the studio yesterday, highlighted that before the game. Like last year, when Tipperary were winning these matches, their tackling up front was savage, you mm-hmm. know, the intensity. And that's, that's the mental side of the game. That's all that is. That's that's just that little lack of hunger, that desire that you've won the all It's not something... You think going out in the field and going to do the very same thing, but you don't make that extra yard. You don't block. You don't throw your body on the line. And so when you leave that sort of space, then... So Cork were walking out with the ball. They could get the head up all the time. And, you know, it wouldn't be in Tipperary's nature to drop a man back. Um, I was probably surprised that both our midfielders were quite 
maybe they had their hands full, but neither of them are really dropping back around the half back line to give them a dig out there. Uh, so it was wide open, and uh, I, I, I think they're in big trouble in the full back line if Cahill Barrett is out because they don't have the replacements there. Like Mike, Michael Cahill, as I said, Don Amar, they're out injured as well. So they're going to have to come up with somebody to go in there. But I think the protection around that, and I don't like sweepers, but what what you would like to see, I suppose, is one of the midfielders getting back to support the half back line. Like Ronan Maher is a great hurler, as is Parry, but maybe Ronan is lacking that little bit of pace. He needs to stay. So you'll see Tip next time out, I guarantee you, that Ronan Maher will be staying back 40, 50 yards from the goal and there'll be someone dropping back in front of him to half forward and be working. And Bonner Maher will be the man that'll be covering that ground and leaving all that space. And it's, So you're talking about Brendan Maher basically playing at centre back almost. nearly almost and Bonner playing at midfield yeah and pushing forward from there as well like, but that's that's the way and you know people say I'm negative of that sort of game I'm not that's thinking about the game that's what Kilkenny have been doing for 15 yeah, years and that's the way we would have played and like, but depending on how the other team play and how they adapt to that and if they don't come with you then you'll see lads carrying the ball and trying to score from distance and that's how the games develop but I think that's you know, I suppose Cork have shown their hand to a large extent now, so it'll be interesting now. Derek McGrath loves thinking about these games, and Waterford have that sort of pace and youth as well in their team. And if they go like that, if like we haven't seen Waterford really thrown off the shackles over the last couple of years, we have it under twenty one level. But I would imagine that you know they're going to look and say, "Geez, the pace of this forward line." But do we trust our backs on them, and do we go at them, or do we go back and drop a man back? And he has to think about all that. And the Waterford supporters probably getting a little bit frustrated. They're waiting to see a performance like that. Yeah. And I've made this point many times that if you're going to lose, like if Cork lost that gesture by a point or two, well, no one was going to say, well, "Why didn't you go with the sweeper?" Or worried, mm. maybe they would. But we saw, you know. Only one team can win. If Tip had gotten those two goals, maybe in the first half, maybe you'd be asking then. Yeah, and that's what Tip do so well this year. And that's like that runner from deep, and nobody does it as well. And you saw Michael Breen last year scoring a couple of goals against Waterford in the Munster final. They can come from anywhere, and they just looked a little bit subdued, and they looked subdued in the league final. And that's a mental tiredness more than anything else. Yeah, and I. Uh, they're not in action again until the 1st of July, I think. Yeah. So whatever, and Michael Ryan was talking about it afterwards, it said, uh, by no means an excuse, but four weeks ago we got beaten by Galway. And my point about it being that we had eight games in 10 weeks. We immediately turned around and for the bulk of our fellas, they had another two games, competitive club games, in the intervening four weeks. So on the go, on the go, on the go. And to me, they didn't look fresh out there, not fresh enough out there. So Is that the same at most teams, a lot of teams? Yeah. Pretty see, much every it, county going. It is. Know? And see, that, and that's the criticism. I'd love... I love matches you know what I mean I know that was a very tough schedule and uh, well, see, the teams in 1B Galway in 1B they probably weren't at the same intensity but like Cork would have had a lot of tough but they didn't get to the league final um, but there is club championship you know it's those little margins like maybe they did, and they got a few injuries like Seamus Callum was just back from a broken thumb Bonner wasn't there so uh, you know Michael Cahill whether he you know he wouldn't have been, no I don't think any back would be too comfortable with that Cork forward line yesterday like it was it was a tough place to be and uh, it's and but it's but there's, sti- there's not much in that excuse well he says it's not an excuse but that, that's not a reason really is it that they've been playing too many games no like they had a good break since the leave I know they had a couple of club matches but like the counties that aren't going well like ourselves like you think I, we don't get any matches like we've no underage matches we don't have anything going on so I suppose there is a balance there it is a lot it's one of the things of that league the, the form of that league but look at it's it wasn't still a bad performance I, I don't know I I don't know how Tipperary playing the way they did ended up within four points and only for that like that last goal was a disaster Like, uh, Mike, Mike, which is another story in itself uh, Michael Callan Michael with the, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And an enlarged heart and then the, yeah. the, a virus I think attached to that that was, th- was three years ago he only yeah. came back this year in the league yeah Jerk Handy was filming in yesterday about the, the, like he went to America for treatment and was told he'd never hurl again and see him coming on the first puck of the ball ever in champ- for Cork probably I don't know if he ever played league or anything I, I, I certainly didn't come across it's amazing him. yeah yeah 
stuck it. Some lad tried to tell me last night he didn't hit it that well. <laughs> he <laughs> <laughs> get a few pints in it, but uh, yeah. he hit it well lad, enough. Yeah, that lad needs to just relax. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I didn't hit it. It wasn't pure enough, but uh, no, no. I think uh, he'll do the job. The after first one wasn't hit that well, but I think you know at least he'll be disappointed. That one bounced yeah. over his hurdle, but anyway. Well, I'm sure it'll be like this all summer anyway, Michael. Loads of uh, loads I tell you, of it's, 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 just, it's just amazing. Uh, it's a great start. Summer that we're going to like it, it, it's only a, it's only a what is it? A, a Munster quarter final. Munster quarter final. Yeah. yeah. And we have a lot of big matches ahead, so looking forward to <laughs> Kenny Wexford, Galway, Dublin next Sunday now. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'd be looking forward to Tullamore, so I'd be safe taking a seat in the stand <laughs> yeah, and watching. <laughs> the journey home is short as well. Yeah, it is indeed. Thanks a million, Michael. Cheers, I'll give you the unvarnished account of what happened, will I? There was a train at like one o'clock back to Paris. Arrived at the station in Saint-Étienne before that train was due to go to find utter bedlam. Seat numbers weren't being respected. It was with an air of foreboding. I went to find Class 41, and as I expected, it already contained a tired-looking England fan, Geordie man, probably in his late 20s. He knew why I had come, and I looked at him sternly and waggled my ticket and said, Sorry, mate, it's actually my seat. And he said, Sorry, mate, we've actually just been told to sit anywhere. The seat numbers don't count. Basically, tough shit. I've sulked and stomped around a little bit and complained and sent angry text messages to people who didn't care. But then I thought, there's no point in just sitting here. Who knows what might happen? Possession was now 100% of the law. You have to go and find someone else whose seat you can take. So I started walking along the train and in the very end carriage there was a couple of empty seats. Ah. I thought, that's interesting. I went on to the first empty seat I saw, tried to sit down, the England fans there said, sorry mate, our friend's there. So I said, okay, moved up, went to the next empty seat, sat down, guy next to it, no complaints. Well, the situation seems to have changed. I'm now one of the haves rather than the have-nots. A few minutes later, as I suspected it might, previous owner of the seat came along and said, sorry, mate, that's my seat. And I said, sorry, mate, my seat is actually Watcher 12 Class 41, but there's someone sitting in it, so I just came and sat in this seat, which, which is unoccupied. There's a lot of us in the same boat. And he said, but that's ridiculous, I've just gone to the canteen and I got this RNG now. And I said, I know, I'm really sorry, it's really unfair. The system is a total shambles. He walked away saying the word tosser. I felt bad for the guy. Maybe he didn't realise that he was in the jungle. He still thought he was on the train, but this was actually a jungle. And I thought to myself, well, you know, I can't really complain about that characterization of my behaviour at this moment. However, I do have a seat and I don't think anyone saw. Got an email in here from Will Hamilton to editor at secondcaptains.com. Title, Stone Temple Pilots, a rebuttal. Uh, this is a good one, actually, Simon. Hit the, hit the music for this. I've got a call here that says, you're the most boring, predictable, condescending interviewer around. Go back to lecturing. You have the charisma of a sick bag. Oh, God. That's just it. I just Whoa. mentioned that you, not me. Okay, ain't nobody f***ing with my click. Click, 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 click. Ain't nobody fresher than my mom. We don't normally click, broadcast all click, the, the stuff click, that comes from scum click, around the country. Click. So as mentioned, Will Hamilton is our scumbag this week. Real piece of vermin is Will. Mm, yeah. I know. Stone Temple Pilots, a rebuttal. Hey lads, as delighted as I was to hear the musical discussion at the end of the one of the podcasts last week, RIP Chris Cornell, I felt the mocking dismissal of Stone Temple Pilots was unwarranted. Mm-hmm. Who can forget the distinguished vocals of Scott Weiland, also RIP, the searing guitars of Dean and Robert DeLeo, and the uh, competent drum work of Eric Kretz. <laughs> 
Are you sure this isn't Simon in in uh, disguise here? While I agree that they never reach the creative peaks of your Alison Chains's, your Mud Honeys's, or your Soundgardens's, <laughs> the first two albums had some real belters. Moving on, after hearing of Ken's trip to see Therapy in the SFX, I was reminded of the time they appeared on the Late Late. So this is Ken's first ever gig was Therapy in the SFX. Of course. They were supposed to perform Die Laughing on the Late Late. Not exactly a feel-good tune, but there's no swearing in it. Instead, without telling anyone, they decided to perform Knives, which includes the classic line, I'm going to get drunk, come round and fuck you up. Couldn't find a full link, but here's 17 seconds of it. Okay, we don't need to go with the full 17 seconds. You get the idea there. And here's the rest of the email. Naturally, Uncle Gabo was not amused, but a teenage me sitting at home watching with the mammy was basically delighted face emoji here. Okay, good. Anyway, love the show, etc. Regards from Will. Well, thank you, Will. It's always nice to hear about bizarre late, late moments. Stone Temple Pilots had short hair. How hard can you possibly rock out with short hair? Pretty hard, no. Simon. Well. I'm glad to have this opportunity to distance myself from those disrespectful comments, whether it was you or Ken. Sounds like it might have been you last week. If you're telling me that Plush was not one of the defining tunes of that early to mid-90s grunge scene, well, frankly, you're not worth that mother <laughs> love bone t-shirt you continue to wear in your 40s, <laughs> as far as I'm concerned. Shane Horton. Yeah, that's very good. Well, we get Shane on. Ready yeah, well, ready to move on. Shane, after the Champions Cup semi-finals, I think we were all quite critical of Munster and probably gave Leinster the benefit of the doubt. Gave them a little bit of leeway, uh, largely because they battled back well against Claremont. They showed they had belief in their game plan despite a bad start. How much do these Pro 12 semis make you think differently about where the two teams are at? Well, it's um, looking at the Leinster performance, it's actually hard to gauge where their season is or you know what their season was, really. Uh, because you're right, I, I was very, very hopeful after that Claremont performance. Um, I thought they played with you know high level of skill, intelligence. Uh, I could see what they were trying to do, but they were also very committed. And there was a lot of young players playing as well, so I thought there was a, a very much on an upward curve. That was almost entirely shattered by the ineptitude of the performance um, on Friday night. It was it was as bad as I'd seen Leinster play for a long time, uh, under circumstances that should have been almost perfect for them to to produce a performance. Yes, they were down a couple of numbers, but no one really performed at all. The standard of uh, skill was very low. Uh, the tactics employed were were wrong, and um, it was it was a pretty dismal performance all around. There are plenty of theories as to. Why, how Lancer could come up with such an inept performance, Shane, after in such a big game. Uh, Neil Francis has one, but he has a few. One of them is, I'll read it out to you. It also seems to me that Lancer have got caught up in their own celebrity. Wives and girlfriends, girlfriends and wives. Who's dating who? Who's wearing what? When the most obvious question is, who is winning what? Do you have any truck with that kind of criticism? Well, maybe I'm, not, you know, I, I'm based in the UK now. Maybe I'm not... Um you know, as tied into the uh, Dublin celebrity scene as I might <laughs> As you would like to be, Shane, as you would like to yeah, be. Yeah, as I'd like to be. But, uh, mm. I, you know, I'm not aware of that. And, you know, so I, I don't I don't view things through that prism. You know, the only, the only you know, the view that I, I see is what they're doing on the pitch and how they're performing. And probably that's, you know, the rest of it really is, I, I think, it, no matter, I don't know what's going on. Or if anything is going on, but um, I wouldn't even take that into consideration. Um, it's preparation for the game. They've done a lot of things well this year, um, but when it was most crucial, and uh, you know this really was most crucial, it was the biggest opportunity for them um, to play what would be in a home home semi final against um, an opposition that they've beaten many times. Um, 
never no team has ever lost in the semi-final of the Pro 12 uh, if playing at home they haven't lost in the Pro 12 for donkeys and um, then to deliver a performance that's so off the pace like that it was definitely uh, a number of players skill level um, for the game wasn't on I find it really hard I'm stro- really struggling to find a reason why um, they, they it was such a, a poor performance like uh, the, the carrying of the ball, like they they didn't carry the ball with any intensity at all, almost through the whole game. I think it wasn't until the, the last um, you know ten minutes before the end, Levy came on and took a ball, carried it really well. Before that, um, uh, Van der Fleer carried the ball just before that, pretty powerfully. But apart from that, it was they seemed to be obsessed with trying to get uh, this loop play going. Um, which wasn't working for them. They weren't getting their timings right and against a defence that was very much up and in and knew what they were doing. Um, There was parts of the Leinster game, the attack looked really poor, again, from a skill level, from an execution level. Um, Their defence was, was, I think, looked at sixes and sevens um, at times, and particularly down the the um, Adam Burns uh, wing, he he was really shooting at the line very badly. You could see he was stressing the players on his inside to make poor decisions as well. Uh, the communication he saw for uh, the try um, down there again down the right hand side where uh, um, um, Joey um, Joey Carberry was Carberry yeah. should have you know should have should have stayed out on his man. That didn't happen, and you know Lancer were cut up, but. All that aside, they still had an incredible opportunity because of the Steph Evans uh, red card. And there was, uh, I think, normally when you get a, a period in the bin, which is you know ten minutes, you have uh, you notice teams really up their intensity and their urgency. And that's why there's very often, um, I think, there's a you know, in general anywhere between a, a six and a ten point uh, swing um, during that a period of a, a sim bidding. Now, Leinster had. Um, you know, a half of sin binnings, and there was absolutely no up in intensity or in urgency in that period. It was almost like the the fact that they're down to fourteen is by itself going to win us this game, coupled with the fact that we're at home. And um, that certainly wasn't the case because all the all the intensity, all the canniness came from the Scarlet side. He were really impressive. I actually really liked the way they played and it was the it was the one shining light. I was incredibly disappointed with the way Leinster played, but Scarlet, that's the way you go after a tournament. That's the way you go after a game uh, away from home. And they were, you know, super underdogs going into it. But if you have listened to the way they spoke before the game and the week before, none of them were doing the normal thing that we hear from a lot of teams or most teams and they were being, you know, super humble and well if everything goes our way and you know if Lens have a bad game and we have our best game, maybe that wasn't the, the story they were talking to. What they were saying was, Well, we've gone you know, we've won the last ten games or something and we're not afraid to take on anyone and that's exactly the way they played. We interviewed Johnny Sexton a few weeks ago and something that he said struck me because when he and the likes of Rob Carney and these sort of players were coming up I, I remember yourself and Brian O'Driscoll and these people who've been there for a while would have been hugely impressed and, and I've said so with their professionalism and what they brought and the confidence that they brought that they belonged and that they should be in the team and driving it forward he was saying the exact same thing about the younger players now that he's blown away by their professionalism and just almost can't believe how how serious they are about making this thing work for them and yet, 
going by that logic, the team should be almost bulletproof psychologically by now because you've got the hardened players who've been there for ages and have come up and you've got these young, confident guys who are giving everything to it. But there must be something missing psychologically from, from these players that they, not for the first time in the last couple of seasons, throw in their worst performances at the, at the end of the season. I think something there may be something in this about having to, having to think your way around a game when things don't go well, because there are always going to be games where you know Johnny Sexton doesn't have his best game at the weekend. He didn't have his best game. You know, one year Sean O'Brien's not going to be playing. Jamie, he, Jamie, he's the isn't going to be playing. Um, you know, one year back, um, your, your backs are isn't operating at their highest level. So that's going to happen. And so what do you do? How do you change your game plan? How do you, you know, manipulate the game to make sure you get over the line as Munster almost always do, mm. almost always do when they're, when they're faced with a, a puzzle to sort out on the pitch. They're very, very good at doing it. And Leinster don't seem to be able to do that. It's either they fire, everything goes well, and, you know, they blow a team off the pitch or in, against Claremont, they, you know, they have a shootout and things don't go quite well. Or there's this, you know, really kind of abject performance, which we've seen infrequently this year, if we're going to be honest. But we have seen them over the course of the last uh, number of years. So, you know, how, you know, how do you get to win under those circumstances? And I think that might be. Uh, based in the fact that you know, Leinster do have these almost sort of automatron um, players that are incredibly professional um, and incredibly compre- focused on what they're doing, but you know, is there a, a creative thought? You know, is that is there a creative spark that allows them to you know to, to think in a different way? Now we've seen with I suppose someone like you know Ringrose and and, and Joey Carberry. We have seen a creative uh, creativity on the field that was that has been really refreshing and changed the way Lancer are playing a bit this year. But is there sort of that other sort of rugby intellect to go? We can't shoot out this time. We can't you know do what we've been tra- doing all week in training. And how do we manipulate our game to make sure we win? And a great example of that was yeah, Munster are a constant example of that. But an even better one or more immediate one is what uh, the Scarlets did at the, the weekend. Incredible. Like they were playing, they have been playing uh, one way. They're trying to get their backs going and, you know, they're moving with a lot of um, subdiffuse and a lot of, um, a, a lot of, um, a lot of um, decoy lines. And you could see that in the first half and that was really troubling Leinster. But when that was no longer an option for them because they were numbered down, they changed their defensive uh, pattern. They changed their attacking pattern and they made sure they were going to get over the line and, and Lancer were outthought. Was it so bad, Shane, this performance that it would make a team and the management team question everything they've done in that season? Because it's your final memory as you go through the summer. Oh, it's going to be a nightmare summer for those guys. You know, I really, I was thinking about that a lot over the course of the uh, um, the weekend because I've been in that circumstance before myself. Um where you have just played your worst game at the most important time, and it does it uh, it does make you question everything, which is a, it's a positive thing because you know you could have a run into the season and and you know if you want to compete at 
Europe in Europe next year as they did, you know, this year. But if you want to win Europe, then it's really good to have a, a very strong evaluation of what you're doing and you know how you can move things on further. Maybe that wouldn't have happened if uh, they had a trucked along to the end of the season and um, you know played out a, a final against Munster and possibly you know even got over the line on that. Um, now I think that has to they have to have a, a big think about what they're doing and, and why that performance was delivered. At that, you know, at the most important um, time in the season, um, but that will be an absolute sickener. Uh, number one for the guys that are taking a break now and going on holiday or going on tour with Ireland, it'll even be stinging the guys that are going to the Lions and then coming back. Um, that will that will really affect you know how they view last season, but how they how they view the the season uh, coming and. In, it can it can work one of two ways. It can work as a really you know an excellent motivator, and um, but it can, it can weigh heavy on people as well. And um, you know there's a concern that 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 will that will be the case because it's hard to be re- super positive about uh, what you're doing in your next year when you've come off a bad run and uh, come off a, like a really bad game like that. And I've always found that pre seasons have been better. Uh, when you're when you're coming through with some success, the idea that you know people rest on their laurels with success, I've never found that to be the case. I've found always found it the opposite, that uh, people train harder, uh, they're more motivated, they're more desirous of of uh, more success, um, having having had a successful uh, season um, the year before. So it, it makes things a lot a lot more difficult, and and it adds a pressure as well. If you don't have if you don't have a trophy um, in the in the changing room, it, there's always a pressure in Leinster or in Munster, and it's been um, it's uh, it's been a little bit longer for Munster. But if you don't have that to, to point to from a Leinster perspective, I think you go right. There's more pressure on to deliver this season. It's funny, Shane. I was thinking those exact same things about Munster a couple of weeks ago after the Saracens game. Maybe underestimating the power of a Pro 12 semi-final win or final win if it happens. Uh, to galvanise the team again, but I was worried that they'd be psychologically damaged given the nature of the defeat. Given it was it was such a thorough beating, and yet they came back. They kind of stuck to the old game plan to a certain extent, but they just they weren't as naive as they were against Saracens, and they just their self belief came back. Yeah, but did you at any point think over the course of the weekend? Did you think Munster weren't going to win that game? No, and the second it started, well, five minutes into it, I didn't think they were going to lose it. Certainly, yeah, no, I didn't. I had no doubt they were going to they were going to win the game. I really thought there was no chance that they were going to lose that game against the Ospreys team. And I think Ospreys' form of late hasn't been great. And I think you know Scarlets are better. But you know whatever says say about that, I'm really convinced. Even after the um, the, the Leinster performance, I still thought Munster were going to win because I just didn't feel they were going to lose against an Ospreys team. Uh, in their own backyard, you know, home advantage, the year that was in it, the, historically the way they play and how entirely committed to a uh, a game plan that's not as reliant on every single thing going right. And it, you know, reduces um, some of the, some of the, you know, higher level of a higher degree of skill um, that's maybe necessary to win a European competition. Um, so I didn't think they were ever going to lose that game, and and, and it, it proved to be the case. They played, um, you know, a, a very pragmatic game. It wasn't. Listen, it was. It was. I found it boring to watch the first half in particular, but um, you know, from a Munster perspective, you just you needed to get over, and you needed to maybe have a performance against um, Ospreys like that. And I've played Ospreys many, many times, and 
I've lost to them a number of times. And what you lose to them when you try and um, when you try and overplay against them, because they very often have a, a backfield that is covered really well by two players, and you know, or sometimes you know one and a half players. So they have an extra number in the line. There's not a lot of space when you're playing them. They can be you almost have to bore them into submission. But if you they what they want to do, they want to trick you into playing, you know, a really expansive game. And Leinster and I've been in teams with Leinster who have been you know tricked into that because you, you know, maybe there's a certain hubris about it where you go, we no matter what we do. And if we play our best, we'll, we'll win. And, and they stop you from playing your best a little bit. And then uh, you can compound errors. And there was an element of that in the Leinster game uh, in that first half against um, Scarlet, certainly. But um, Munster never thought like that. They said, OK, we know how to beat this team. It's not going to be a particularly glamorous way. Now, that, I think that fits in with what um, Munster have been doing this season, um, luckily. But... You know, Munster in the final, and you know I wouldn't bet against them to to win that final either. Now you're right; it wasn't too exciting, but that Zebo try in and on of itself maybe has some significance given the skill involved, the decision making. I loved Murray's little pass; it was it looked really easy, but it was the thing that really set up the team to get into space and properly go for a try. Could that you know be a little spark? They know they can do that in a big game now, and it's something we it's the one thing we probably haven't seen from them a whole lot this season. Uh, I think we've seen bits of that because I think we've seen you know some of the be- the players that were involved in, with, you know, with the highest skill level for Munster at the weekend were the players that have consistently been involved with the highest skill level for Munster over the year and with Ireland and have been their creative spark. Um, and it's uh, you know I think you know Zebo has been exceptional this year. Conor Murray is consistently you know very positive and and excellent for Munster. Um, Keith Earls as well. Uh, Saeeli has has been destructive all year. Um, um, Taute uh, has been, been, you know, I think has been a very positive in, influence on on Munster all year. So there has been elements of that play. Now we maybe we we saw a movement away from it, um, um, or we saw less spark in the game against Saracens because I just think they re- they really got that game all wrong, um, and they're also the they're probably the key elements of their play were ones that um, Saracens could retard quite easily. It's, it's what their Saracens' game plan was. Um, the teams in the Pro 12 have found it more difficult to do it. And also, I think it was very instructive, the um, convers- or the interviews that we heard from uh, Razi Rasmus after that game. I think there was an awareness that the you know that extremely limited game plan uh, when you're you know when your you know, top players aren't fi- finding their creative uh, creative spark is not going to be something that Munster are going to continue on with. Yeah, he's really open about that. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I think w- it was there a slight movement away from that at the weekend. I think there probably was a slight movement. I think he's dead right not to try and revolutionise this over the, mm. the you know the the last couple of weeks of the season. That's going to be uh, it's not going to have any dividends whatsoever for Munster. So they've approached it, I think, in a really smart way. Get your get the ball as as much as possible to your most creative players and and let them spark almost naturally. And luckily, they have those guys are are firing it and did. Um, but then I think we'll see a, a, a further change and a movement away, and maybe from a, a, a more a philosophy, uh, from a different philosophy, not quite a different philosophy, but a little bit more evolved philosophy uh, next year. But um, certainly, I can see what he's doing for the end couple of weeks this year. And again, I think it might be enough to win. 
Okay, well, we'll see what happens. Shane, brilliant. Thanks a million. Thanks a mil. See if you don't get this out with Motherwell, you're away, mate. Your bags in your desk, boom. Your bags in your desk, boom. I mean it, I'm fucking raging, speaking from my heart. Who would I want in? I've got big Terry Butcher in. Mr. Tate, how you doing? Not too good after tonight. You got the job on the technicality of a legend who recommended you. Take no beat, take no beat, take no, take no, take no beat. Just so soft, don't try to get so deep. You know me, but I can't yell me. I can't yell me. I can't yell me. I can't yell, can't yell, can't yell me. You have lost the fans tonight. You don't deserve the fans. What's it, your fans? Just need to fucking work, wouldn't it? You are nothing. You are a fool. And you are a waste of time. Good night. Oh, the gun is booked. I record stuff. Get out of here. Yeah, great stuff as always by uh, with Shane there. Although my, my Neil Francis quote didn't quite get his blood boiling no. in the way that I thought that it might. No, and uh, normally with these Leinster guys, because it was tough for them in their ear as well. Well, not tough, but uh, Neil well, Francis was, was their main critic. It, there was the lady boys thing. Yeah. And Which the, he refers to at the end of that article you were talking well, about. Well, he says lazy boys. Is that what you take it it's as? A, you take that a, as a knowing nod definitely to a the previous pun on point? Yeah. yeah, and obviously that lady boy stuff was uh, a nonsense, but... The For quite a few reasons, that was a stupid, yeah. immature, sexist, etc. Insert uh, your word of choice. Without going back that far, though, the point about the celebrity, about whether Leinster players are getting caught up in their own celebrity and all that, could be interesting if there was a bit more to it in this article. Do you know what I mean? It's just we a, want names and pictures. Well, pretty much, yeah. And there was a picture of Johnny Sexton connected with the article, and he's one of the most <laughs> grounded and unlikely to lose focus. <laughs> sports people in the country. Yeah, this is my point. The article isn't, about, and the photo's not about that. The article isn't actually about the celebrity thing. It's just the fact that it's, it, I think it suffers for being just thrown in as a random looking point towards the end of a piece. Whereas if, if it was the centre point of it and if you did have examples of what has been going on and why Neil Francis thinks this is bad, this is a, indicative yeah. of some sort of bigger malaise, it'd be quite a talking point. But I guess Shane gave it the contempt to deserve because there's not much to that specific point yeah well, the article. there's definitely a theme there with Leinster this year and we, we thought about this before the semi-final against Claremont in the European Cup but in all the tight games where they, as Shane suggests when they haven't blown away a team with their admittedly good play within the first 20 minutes they then start to worry a little bit a bit like Claremont do actually where they go mm, this amazing thing that we do hasn't actually scared this team that much and then they, they go the opposite way and they panic it's like they start really confident and then go the exact opposite if they're not 20 points up. Uh, there's definitely mental frailty there. And I don't think it's necessarily the younger players, actually, because Tyke Furlong and uh, Ringrose, Carberry were probably the three best players on the day, three of their younger players. Van der Fleer, you could throw him there as well, Dan Levy. So it's not about younger players getting panicky on the big day. It was um, Some of the errors were just the kind of thing you wouldn't do in a whole season. Players were doing... Packing it into a hole in one match, what they do in a whole season. Yeah, uh, yeah, right. yeah. Is there any reason why I'm not hearing any Stone Temple Pilots uh, play at the show? <laughs> Gotta be. Oh, there we go. Yeah. Thanks, Simon. Thanks, so. Thanks, Murph. Thanks, Simon. Thanks, Thank you. What a tune. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.